Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I wanted to share with you. I asked Brother Boyd if I could take some of his time and caught him at a weak moment and he said I could. So um, let me, uh, I'll just share your thought. You know, you know by now I love the Old Testament. But one thing I want to say um, without just sounding crude, it's not so much of the blood and guts. Um, it's not so much the story, it's the meaning of the story. Um, God didn't give us this to, just to teach us about all the gross that's in the Old Testament. It's what we can glean from it that'll help us right now. Because, you know, if we want blood and guts, we see that every day, so to speak. Um, so I want to look at what God has given us and glean from it. That's what I want to do. So a man that I truly love is Elijah. So he takes and, um, you know, where he has trouble with is Ahab. And through my readings, you know, Ahab and Jezebel, this is the first time that a king of Israel had went to a heathen nation for a bride. This is the first time. And Jezebel, for the very first one, she just went and broke all the records, even to this day. I mean, God even speaks of her in Revelation. So, um, and then we have where Elijah in 1 Kings 17, he goes before Ahab, he predicts a drought, and, and then I'll just cut to the chase. He gets a 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and he gets a 400 prophets of the groves or of Asherah, that's the ones for Jezebel. And he basically kills 850 of the, of the false prophets. So she's ticked off at this point. But what she had done, she had killed a lot of God's men. A lot of his prophets, Jezebel, has slain with a sword. And God was not going to let her by with that. So Elijah takes, now it records... In 1 Kings 19, it records Elijah running. Now, am I glad he ran? No, but I'm glad the Bible recorded it because it lets me know that this man is human just like me. So in 19 and 1, Ahab told Jezebel, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, now I want you to take notice what she tells him. I know you've heard it, but just listen. She sealed her own fate with this statement. So let the gods do to me and more also. If I make not thy life as one of those ones of them by tomorrow about this time. Now, I'll speak of that. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And listen now. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down on a juniper, juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It's enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Elijah just, as we would say in a boxing match, he just threw in a tile. He said, enough's enough. I've killed 850 of the prophets. Now she's threatened to kill me. This lady, you can take her at her word. She's one mean woman. So she's after my life. But what she said, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, 
we know for sure that Elijah wasn't wearing a Timex. So he takes and he leaves and he flees. And he leaves his servant. The Bible tells us later, he leaves his servant and goes a day's more into the wilderness. So then he's in this cave and all this thing starts happening against him and God basically asked him, what are you doing here? Time's up. It's past time. Jezebel has had her 24 hours and you hadn't even realized it. You're hiding in a cave and she has sealed her own fate with what she said. By this time tomorrow and more so, let the gods, she shouldn't have never threw that in there, do to me and more so, if I don't make your life as one of those. She sealed her own fate. And here's Elijah hiding in the cave and time's up and God said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? So he takes and he's hiding and so basically in the 20th chapter in, in, in verse 20, it says, so, let me see, in, no, 21, 21 and 20. The Bible tells us, then this is uh, Elijah. And then Ahab speaking to Elijah, he said, as thou found me, O mine enemy, but listen how he answers him. And he says, I have found thee. You hadn't found me. The Lord's put something in Elijah this time. He said, no, 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 no. You're not looking for me. I'm looking for you. I ran last time, but I've come back looking for you this time because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and I will take away thy prosperity. And then I'm not gonna read no more of that. But God, Elijah was saying, I'm not gonna leave nobody, nobody. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna do it. And then he said, and Jezebel also spake of the Lord saying the dogs, speaking of Jezebel, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Now, and I'll just shorten it with this. When Elijah was in the cave, when God was saying to Elijah, what are you doing here? There's one I need you to go anoint and his name is Jehu. And for what I want you to go anoint him for, I wanna make him king over Israel. Because when he's coming in, guess who's gonna be looking out the window? Jezebel. And he calls up, literally, I'm in the Bible. He calls up and he said, who is on my side? So the people, her chamberlains, just drop kicked her out the window. I'm in the Bible. This is gonna sound gross, but I'm in the Bible. They threw her out the window. They just frisbeed her out. She landed in front of the horses and the guy's like, Oh, should I go around her? Nope, you go over her. The Bible says the horses trampled her and the chariots trampled her. Then he went in and ate. When he come out, there was nothing left. The reason being, God said, there's not gonna be nothing left. You're not going to no monument for this evil. God said, I'm doing away with it. So I think what we could learn from it, when things is just, no matter, we can't trust our eyes, we want to but she had slain so many of the prophets. And even when the prophet ran, God didn't, he just in his grace works with us. He just works with us and he says, you need a spiritual watch. The time is up. Her time is up. She sealed her fate. Go back, go back because there will be nothing left. She said about this time tomorrow, tomorrow's come and gone, Elijah. What are you doing here? I've protected you. God protected him and he didn't even realize it. And then the Lord in doing that with her that there would be no remnant, no body for nobody to go look at, no grave. So I believe as gross as that is to right now, that is a way we must treat evil and the enemy. When we deal with the enemy, we just try to just play with the enemy like we've been preached to for years. You flirt with the enemy, <laughs> you gonna be the loser, I'm telling you. Because all these stories, I fully believe this, that is as gross as they are, we have to apply that spiritually. 
because this is the way life is. You cannot play with the enemy we have. God said, stamp it out and I'll help you do it. So what I love is God protected him and he didn't even know it. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Ray. I probably need to have those weak moments more often, hadn't I? Amen. Thank you for sharing your heart with us tonight. Let me remind the ladies this coming Saturday at 8.30 a.m. There's going to be a ladies' breakfast at the gathering in Brantford. If you have any questions about that, please contact Sister Cricket. Also, I want to just, um, I know it's been an, an extremely emotional uh, week, and uh, but I just want to say from my heart to our church family, thank you so very much for uh, the 110% that you have given over the last, over more than a week now for the Lambert family and for the Corrin family. And, and um, it just seems, um, it just seems like it, it, our best effort just seems to fall woefully short of how we really feel. But uh, we're very honored to have Sister Corrin and Sonia here tonight with us. And, and uh, we appreciate that. And our prayers for you did not end Sunday afternoon. They continue on. And I believe that the Lord will, in his own way and time and with his ability and strength, give you the power, as he has so many others before you, the, to march into your tomorrow. And I, don't, I hope I'm not embarrassing you here, but uh, I believe that God can help us discover new normals in our life. And, uh, and um, that doesn't wash away the past, but we certainly believe that he is a God of right now and certainly a God of tomorrow. Amen. I, I want you to turn with me, if you will, in the book of John 1. You can remain seated, John 1 and 12. And uh, I've mentioned this in a couple of services, just something that I've been impressed to not only just pray for, but to be thankful for in prayer. And that is the ability to, um, as the scripture says, to become. I'm thankful for the power to change that we find in the Lord. And um, I, I don't really know why my heart has been so driven in that certain capacity for uh, the last little while, but I just want to take a, a little bit of time, if I can, and talk about this this evening. The book of John 1 and 12, the, the scripture says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to believe them even to them that believe on his name. So there was, um, as always with God, you always find that the Lord puts mankind in the, in the proactive position. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open. God always puts us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. And so now he said, as many as received him. And so we have to be open to what God wants to do in our life. But if we receive him, then he gives us power to become. So when we are empowered with the spirit of God, we now have the ability and we are equipped to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. I don't think the purpose of God ever lifts, lifts from our life. The purpose of God may change in our life, but I believe we always have a purpose. We'll always serve in some capacity in the kingdom of God. And when we can see that, and embrace that. There's something very, very beautiful about that. So when we're born again, we, we receive the power to become or the power to be changed. When we think of Simon Peter, when we are introduced to him, we are certainly introduced to a man who um, left a little to be desired. If you just look at him in his personality, he was temperamental, impulsive, he was outspoken. And those are not typically the characteristics that we're looking for when we're trying to find somebody we wanna hang out with. <laughs> and uh, but here he was this man who the scripture makes no pains to hide his flaws was just having an ordinary day minding his own business doing what he did on a very consistent if not daily basis and that was fishing in the sea of Galilee it was just an ordinary day th something he would be doing and then something seemingly very odd out of the middle of nowhere happened when um, Jesus passed by 
and said a very, very unorthodox thing. He said to he and his brother, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, you could have expected at that moment, certainly we read it, we read all of these scriptures generally within the context of a cathedral. And uh, so we kind of read it in the context of church and really don't put ourselves on the sandy shore of the Sea of Galilee when all this took place, just one frame at a time, just like our lives are lived out. You would have thought that here are men sitting on the seashore mending their nets and someone they don't even know passes by and says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You would have thought that would have constituted a moment of pause, maybe a question for a little bit more clarity. After all, what is a fisher of men? We don't really ever hear that statement until now. And so what is this? But according to Matthew 4 and 20, he and his brother, the scripture says, straightway left their nets and followed him. There's no, there's no margin of, of question in scripture at least that just straightway or right away they left their nets and began to follow him. And so then for the next three and a half years we watch a very tumultuous ride of this man by the name of Simon Peter. Uh, in one moment he was very perceptive um, and he declared Jesus Christ as the son of the living God. And so he sees clearly through the lens of the spirit who in fact Jesus is and then just in no time at all he is rebuking that very son of the living God to the point that Jesus turns around and calls him Satan. So what, what an incredibly imbalanced relationship we find going on here. In another instance he was outspoken by uh, challenging the Lord if it is you, if it be you then bid me to come and so he was by faith, gigantic faith, faith I've never gotten my hands on. I don't know about you, but faith I've never gotten my hands on. He steps out of the boat and he walks on the water and as quickly as his faith came, doubt came in its place, faith turned to fear and the next moment Jesus is referring to him and others as having little faith. He's still dripping wet. <laughs> Amen, he is dripping wet. And he has, ye of little faith. In fact, Simon letting Jesus down was somewhat just part and parcel of their relationship. It culminated in a fateful night when he was sleeping when he should have been praying. He had made this wild profession of loyalty only to ultimately betray the Lord. And in spite of all of that, the Lord saw something in him that was usable. Now I just, tend to believe that all of us would have written him off right away. He would have been the last one we would have certainly given the keys of the kingdom to, but he just saw something in him. He looked beyond that. Others saw Simon bar Jonah, but Jesus saw Peter the rock. And Jesus knew that the day was coming when he would be born again. He was looking ahead in time and he saw him endue with power from on high and preaching the ultimate message of all messages and of all time. There is no doubt that Simon Peter became a great apostle. He became that. He didn't start out that. He was very compulsive. He acted out of turn. He cut off a man's ear when he was aiming for his head. And, and, and it just seemed like the Lord was constantly having to do damage control. You ever been around people like that? that you're just always kind of having to clean up a mess. There's just a wake in their, in their, they leave a wake behind them of confusion and that just seemed to be who Simon Peter was. Amen. At, at the heart of the birth of a newborn child, a parent looks at that child and dreams about the endless possibilities or the potential that has been born to them. You can think about what that child has the potential to become. They, they could be a doctor or a teacher, they could be a great evangelist or they could be an influential leader in the church. All of that potential is right there. The reality is that every child that's born has the potential to make a positive impact on the world, to give back and not just take. One thing realistic parents know is that if their child is to become a person of influence, then that's gonna take patience that's gonna take uh, guidance, that's gonna take a lot of discipline, 
And that's gonna take discipline on both parts, discipline for the parent and discipline for the children. And so a parent's influence and, and guidance is vital in this process of becoming because if we just are left to our own or if we're just left to the whelms of life, then chances are we may not land on our feet. But if we have somebody there to help us and guide us and influence us, then along that way, I'm thankful for those people those influencers along the way who just left, uh, if nothing else, they left a well-worn path for us to follow and I'm thankful for that. So when we look at the life of Simon Peter, it's, it's hard to miss the fingerprints of the Lord that were so obviously uh, there to encourage him and to pick him up when he made mistakes and correct him when he, when he stepped out of line. And so for Peter and for us, the Lord is very long-suffering. Amen, he is truly long-suffering. That long-suffering has helped us to become what we are today. Now, we may look in the mirror and think that we are not what we want to be, and that, that ought to be true in all, in all of our lives, but we should certainly be able to see how that the mercy of God has helped us to be where we are and what we are today. In fact, for each of us, I believe that God has a specific plan and a specific purpose in mind. Paul reminded the, the church at Ephesus. He said in, in Ephesus 2 and 10, he said, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so the, the work or the purpose rather of these good works was made clear by Jesus in the writings of Matthew. He said of our good works that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so whatever potential that God has given us or whatever gifts by his grace he has imparted unto us, whatever gifts we may have wherein we can turn out good works, it has not been so that we could receive the praise or that we could receive the adoration, but it is so that the, that the world could see the work of God in our life. In fact, I think every child, whether that's natural or spiritual, has got to grasp the importance of faithfully representing the family name, whether that is our natural family or that we faithful, faithfully represent the church or the kingdom of God. Amen, wherever we go, whatever we do, we are leaving an imprint of who we are behind. Solomon emphatically stated that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Amen, a good name, just to go through life. And if you've been down the road of life very far at all, you understand the value of a good name. It means so much. It means so much to have a good name. There are many, many great names in history. And perhaps your family name is a name that has been one that's earned great respect. Or maybe you're attempting to begin to build that name, a name that's respected. Whatever the case you may find yourself in, I believe that the Bible is very, very clear in indicating that a good name should be chosen above all things, including riches. And so as the children of God who have been born again by the Spirit of God, it's so vital to understand and embrace the responsibility of representing the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I... I Understand that sometimes we talk about how important it is to, under, to, to, uh, to acknowledge that we are representing the church and maybe even in some cases the local church. And uh, so how we conduct business and how we treat others and, and, and how we act outside of a church atmosphere and environment, that is so very, very important. I've, I've often said we had some cards made up and we still have them available uh, that, you know, we, we have leave maybe church cards when we go into a restaurant and eat or uh, there are times we have some little cards that we have made up. If you just feel impressed to bless somebody by buying their meal and to leave them a card that you've been blessed by a member of this church and et cetera, et cetera. And I've often said, if you don't leave a good tip, please don't leave a card. <laughs> and if it's gonna take six people in the restaurant just to clean up behind three of you, please don't leave a card. <laughs> we wanna be represented well. We want to be represented well. Uh, my wife and I went into a restaurant. We were out of town some time back and, and we were with some other folks. We went into a restaurant and we went into an area of the restaurant. It was just like a bomb had gone off. Now that didn't happen at the hands of church people, but I'm just saying somebody had to clean all that up. And more importantly than that, somebody got up and walked out and left all that behind them. And uh, my, my, we felt so sorry for the, 
the waitress, we just left an extra tip just for us and the people behind them, or before us. <laughs> but uh, beside the point, he gives us power to become, the power to become. So we represent wherever we go. Somebody is watching, somebody knows, somebody is, is, is uh, connecting you to the whole. Amen. They're connecting you not only to this church, but they're connecting you to the church or they're connecting you to Christianity. Somewhere there is a connection and we need to represent the name of the Lord well. We've been sealed with a name, a name that is above every name and we've been empowered by the Spirit to become what that name represents. And so that's a process. It's a process of growing and maturing and ultimately it's a process of reproducing. Every child of God, I believe, must take seriously the principle of being fruitful and multiplying to propagate the family name and that influence. We should multiply the church and we should try to multiply the influence of a church. I mentioned this uh, the other day about the prayer of Jabez. He prayed, enlarge my coast, amen, enlarge my footprint, enlarge our influence, Uh, one translation of that is. And so we wanna pray that God helps us to be fruitful and multiply and propagate the influence of the family of God. Being part of a great family is a tremendous, privilege, tremendous privilege. But it is also something that can be taken for granted and it can lead to complacency. You ever seen those people in life uh, who just seemingly have it all and they squander their potential? You find this a lot uh, in life, not in, in just any particular age bracket, but I certainly went to school with people like that who had so much, they had so much potential uh, maybe their parents were wealthy and I went to school with, uh, with young men that, and young ladies, but more particularly, I remember some young men that uh, for their 14th and 15th birthday got the keys to a brand new truck. And so before school, they would be in the mud hole behind the boat plant in that brand new truck. I'm not saying this for pity, it's just a reality. I had a 71 Pinto that burned as much oil as it did gas. But she was parked up on the hill because <laughs> I was making those payments. People that had so much, so much that was just given to them, it just creates a spirit of complacency and we take it for granted. And if I could just be very transparent, we are so blessed as a church. And I, I mean, we're blessed as a local church, but we're so blessed in the church today. Amen. I mean, just uh, we just came home from our men's conference and my goodness, it was just the most wonderful singing and preaching and, and the, the music and the worship and our ladies are going to ladies conference next week and I can go ahead and prophesy that it's gonna be great music, great singing, great teaching, great preaching. It's all gonna be wonderful. And those are wonderful things to have, but we need to be very careful that we don't get complacent about those things. That didn't get here overnight. That was born through the back, on the backs of huge sacrifice. And so we should never take that for granted. Amen, I don't, I, I don't wanna to, to have so much and then, uh, and then just squander it all. Many children who have been provided every opportunity or many people, not, not just limit this to, to children or young people, but many people who have provided every opportunity to be successful have failed due to their feelings of entitlement and, and the lack of embracing their responsibility. I've shared this story before, but many years ago now, my wife and I were visiting with some of her family and we were in a restaurant eating and we were at a, on a lake and in between these two lakes down in Winter Haven is called the Chain of Lakes. There's canals that connect all the lakes together and so we were sitting uh, eating dinner we noticed someone on a jet ski coming just, ex- I mean, excessively fast through the channel. And we were wondering, of course, it got our sights up and, and the man come running in the restaurant and uh, got our attention and, and Eddie and I walked outside and there was a young man, uh, we, we, could, we could not get to him because he had, uh, from a boat, he had gotten under a train trestle and he had hung himself. And, uh, and we just stood helplessly. You couldn't get to him because the boat had drifted away and, and uh, we were just wondering, it was just, per, just puzzling what, what would a young man 
Well, how would you find yourself in this kind of situation? And just a few days later, we found out that this young man was the son of some very, very, very wealthy people just a little bit south of the Winter Haven area who had just run aground. And uh, they had moved him to that area to get him away from some of those influences and, and, and bought him a place to stay. And they had put, and this, was, this was many years ago, and they had put in $200,000 in a bank account for him just to get his life together. So much potential. And I'm not trying to be graphic, but, but when I heard the follow-up story to the story, I could not, Brother Tom, shake the image of his body just swaying in the wind. I thought, my, my, what a way. So much potential is right here. And I'm not just talking about monetarily, but there was the monetary aspect of that, but there was the name of their family and the influence of their family, the potential to be something, to become. And now it is all wasted. It's dangling from the end of a rope. And I think, oh God, I thought about, I couldn't shake that today as I begin to, to look into this and I pray, Lord, help us to not be that spiritually. Now you say, well, we may never do that to ourselves. Well, that's true. You may never do that physically, but I wonder one day, would our spirit man be that person dangling from the end of a rope of potential because we just never could come to terms with what God is trying to allow us to become in our life and all of that be squandered. And so to our young people, to everyone that's here in this building, don't ever discount the power of God in our life to become. You say, well, I'm not that. I've got all these hiccups. I've got all these hangups right now. That's all right. Amen. You be faithful and let the Lord discipline and let the Lord have his way in our life. And he has given us the power, not just to speak in tongues, not just the power to take on his not just the power to be this or that, but the power to change, the power to evolve, the power to become. Amen. What a, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. And so I don't want to take for granted the legacy that has been given. I don't want to lose sight of my responsibility. Uh, Jesus made, abundantly, made it abundantly clear to his disciples on two different occasions near the end of his earthly ministry just what our role and function was. In Matthew 28, 19, he commanded the disciples to go and to teach all nations. There's no question about that. That is our job description. Go and teach all nations. In Acts 1 and 8, he said that we are going to receive the power power to be witnesses, the power to do what? To go and the power to teach all nations. And so he declared that the power of the spirit would fill our lives with the purpose of being a witness. And so we have the privilege of carrying his name. We have the empowerment of his spirit and it's for his children, it is for you and I to reproduce and pass on the power of the influence of Jesus' name. I'm thankful that I know his name. I'm thankful that I know his name. And so in the process of becoming productive, many times children experience failures that can either mold them or break them. Not, now nobody enjoys failure, no one. Whether it's a test at school or project at work, uh, no matter what it is, nobody enjoys failure. And that discouragement that follows after failing at something can be debilitating. We've all been there on some level. But unfortunately, life is just peppered with failure. Some are small, some are great. But the most important factor is not that, that we fail, that we fail, but the most important factor is how we respond to failure. What will we do from this point forward? <clears throat> when a child strikes out on the baseball field, what, kind, what will that failure prompt? If, if, if they wind up quitting, then they're never going to experience the joy of hitting a home run. So you just have to get go back at bat. You have to you have to you have to do it again. You have to climb back in the saddle, so to speak. Amen. So we have to understand that failure can crush us. Our failure can say, you know what? I'm going to push harder now. I know now what not to do. I know how to avoid this. And so in doing that, we can find success. In his book Failing Forward, John Maxwell wrote ninety percent of all those who fail are not actually defeated, they just simply quit. We're not really defeated, we just stop trying. On a more significant scale, what spiritual failure produces in a person can either make or break that person. Not just natural things, but spiritual things. And so if a child of God is to grow in the spirit, then, then, then and for our future to be vital, then we have to understand the value of getting back up again. 
The most important step in mold in the molding process is, and in, in the maturing process is an admission or an ownership of guilt. Humanity doesn't like to accept blame for failure. And we certainly live in, a, in an hour that, that proves that every day in the court of law. Humanity doesn't like to accept the blame. We try to find someone that we can kind of assess that blame on, and that's always been the case. From the first man and the first woman, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, on and on and on. Uh, we've been shifting the blame, it seems like, for our shortcomings from that point forward. In life general, uh, in, in life in general, in, and in spiritual life in particular, I think the first step to being molded into God's image is to be able to confess our own guilt and not wear it as a badge of honor, but we need to acknowledge our shortcomings. From initial repentance to, I think, regular confession of sin, that admission of guilt is a very vital element in spiritual growth. We should pray every day for the Lord to forgive us, for the Lord to help us. We should lay it on the table what we're talking about. Amen. Anybody remember those testimony services that went something like this? If I've ever done anything. <laughs> Pretty broad brush. <laughs> if, you know, on the, on the odd, odd, odd chances that I would have ever done anything wrong, I'm asking you to forgive me. Uh, that, I don't think that's what the scripture's talking about. I think it's talking about laying things, that raw thing on the table and saying, this right here, I need you to help me with this right here. Amen. And uh, we, we can't learn from mistakes that we're unwilling to admit. In fact, maturity results uh, from the ability to learn from our mistakes. Imagine, imagine, if you will, in all seriousness, the overwhelming and the crushing weight of shame that Simon Peter must have felt when he denied the Lord. I try to read that story slow, scripture by scripture, frame by frame. Here's what you have. You have one of the greatest failures in human history on the heels of one of the boldest commitments in human history. The whole world can walk away, but you can count on me. I'm gonna stand when everything else crumbles. Peter had confessed, committed to death. I'm gonna be here. Yet in the moment of a trial, he was crushed. And his shame was not incremental. His shame didn't come over the next 72 hours but his shame was in that moment of time and his inclination as his hours sometimes was to withdraw and he could have blamed it on the circumstance, he could have blamed it on his doubts, he could have blamed it on many, many things that legitimately would have served as something to hang that on but instead he allowed the spirit of the Lord to draw him forward into a place of growth and into a place, a place of great commitment and I will tell you that sometimes failure and even sin can, can cause us in the beginning to want to withdraw and to stay away but if we will allow the spirit of God he wants to pull us we need to repent amen we need to lay it on the table but his spirit will pull us forward and as we move forward from our failures I believe that accountability is vital in overcoming mistakes and, uh, and becoming productive in the kingdom of God I believe that one of the marks of Christian maturity is the willingness to be accountable you know some people don't want you asking them no questions in James 5.16, we are commanded to confess our faults one to another. I always try to pause and underline this. Confess your faults, not your sins. No one here is your priest. No one here can offer you forgiveness. But we need to confess our faults one to another. That's, I don't think that's a public forum I don't think that's holding the microphone just telling everybody that comes along what you're struggling with, but I believe that we have somebody in our life that we can talk to about our faults. We first must acknowledge we have them if we're gonna confess them. In Hebrews 10, 24, we are challenged to provoke one another unto love and to good works. In Ephesians 5, 21, the apostle Paul commanded us to submit to one another in the fear of God. So here it is. We have confession, we are to provoke and we are to submit, but these are all words that require accountability. If we're gonna 
confess, we gotta have somebody to confess to. If we're gonna be provoked to good things, we gotta have somebody to provoke us to those good things. And if we are going to submit, we've gotta have somebody to be submitted to. And so all of those things are words that require accountability, somebody in our life. And uh, I heard someone say, I think it was Brother Kenneth Stewart said many years ago, he said, if, uh, he, was, he said, if you have an accountability partner, he was talking to men, he said, if you have an accountability partner and your wife don't have their cell phone number, that's not your accountability partner. Right. Heavy stuff, ain't it? Yes, <laughs> I had to rewind that in my own head when he said it. If you have an accountability partner and you're, in this case, to men, and your wife doesn't have their cell phone number, that's not your accountability partner. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> I need to call Brother Kenneth Stewart and make sure that was him that said that. It was him. It was him. <laughs> Amen. So we, we show fear and, and, and reverence to God when we submit to those who can help us grow spiritually. When a person has purpose, when they understand that there is a purpose, that purpose or that the acknowledgement of that purpose in their life affects their decisions. In fact, a mature person is gonna make decisions, a, a person, a mature person that understands purpose in their life is gonna make decisions with the end in mind. How is this going to affect my overall purpose? If we're living without purpose, then decisions are just made off the cuff. We're just flying through the air. But if there is an end result, then how is this decision going to affect the end? Amen. And so if we are, as young people, if, if purity means a lot to us, if that means a lot, then the decisions that we make each and every day is going to affect the end. I want to remain pure, so I don't need to be in this situation or I don't need to be in that situation because in the end, I want to remain pure and that's not going to, where I'm at right now, what I'm doing right now is not going to lend to that, so I need to stay away from that. Amen. So a person that understands their potential, a person that understands their purpose in life is going to have to move with the end. We gotta think, we gotta think down the road. You need to think more than three days ahead. Yes. <laughs> I saw um, <laughs> I saw a picture the other day. It was it looked to be real. I'm, I, surely it wasn't. You can do so much with Photoshop, but it was two hands that had been tattooed across and it said plan on this word and ahead, but there wasn't enough fingers to put the D and so it was just A-H-E-A, -E plan a. <laughs> we got a plan. <laughs> I'll send the picture, I'll email the picture tonight. It'll make far more sense than that lame, lame, lame. So when you get this picture in, the, in your email, you'll understand it's not junk mail. I'm just, help me remember to do that. I wanna be true to my promise here. In his book, <laughs> if our media was working, I'd just have you Google it and throw it up there and make sure it was, I'm telling the truth. In, in his book, The Principle of the Path, Andy Stanley says this, Andy Stanley says this, the direction you are currently traveling, relationally, financially, spiritually, and of course this list could go on and on, will determine where you end up in each of these respective arenas. So whatever direction you're currently traveling in your relationships, that's probably how it's gonna end. Whatever direction you're in financially right now, that's probably where it's gonna end. And so we gotta make sure spiritually, and again, that list could go on and on. So as children of God, we gotta allow the spirit of the Lord to lead us and guide us and ultimately lead us to desired destinations. And so in light of where, they, where we are today is where we're gonna end up later. <clears throat> every decision that we make probably in, in truth even the most minuscule decision but certainly every decision that we make has a ripple effect I marvel at how many people think they're an island and that whatever they do is not going to affect anybody else how could we be so self-centered to think that we are just disconnected from the whole universe and that whatever we do, so a father who decides to forego an affair and stay committed to his family, that right decision is going to have a profound effect on his children. 
We certainly know the opposite of that is gonna be true. So we acquiesce to that. That is certainly gonna have a profound effect on our children. A mother who, is, who will sacrifice her desires in order to be present and accounted for for their children leaves a lasting impression on their lives, an indelible print. A single adult who fights to retain their purity is not gonna only have an influential testimony to their peers, but you're also gonna be an example to, future, to your future companion and to your children. And so when we live our lives with no regard for those around us and failure seems to blanket our lives, if I could just be so bold as to say this tonight, that we lose in the truest respect, in the truest sense, we lose our right of rebuke. When we give in to every little thing that comes along, then how are you gonna correct the next generation? Because they're gonna put their hands on their hips and say, well, you did it. Who are you to be telling me? So we lose, does that make sense? We lose our right of rebuke when we have no borders or no boundaries in our lives. Amen, we lose our right of rebuke. And so uh, you can just remain seated. I'm gonna close and musicians, you can stay. Um, Brother Ray and I have worked you over pretty hard tonight. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll let you off easy here. But a, a mature person will always honor their legacy and do everything within their power to have the responsibility to preserve it. On the day of Pentecost, and I'm coming now full circle, Peter, having been filled with the Holy Ghost, preached a profound message of hope and empowerment. This is the same man that was so unpredictable on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The same man who made all of these mistakes, who made the most profound boast, and I, I, everybody else will walk away but not me, and was one of the first to walk away. A man riddled with failure, preached a profound message, and in doing so, he embraced his call to be the rock upon which the New Testament church would be built. You know the thing about, and, and this is my assessment, but the thing about, to me, the heroes that I feel like I've met in my lifetime, and I feel like I've met a bunch of heroes, is they never feel heroic. They just wear common skin. And that has always kind of just bowled me over by just how down to earth real heroes are. And I think that's what we find in Simon Peter. In that great sermon, he declared the promise of the Holy Ghost. He said of this Holy Ghost, it's a multi-generational one. It's not just for the first century believers, but this is to your children and to their children, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so here is this man who made so many mistakes, and yet on the day of Pentecost, he is front and center. And here's why. Because God gave him the power to become the power to become. And if God can use him, he can use me and he can use us. Let's stand, can't we? In his book, In the Eye of the Storm, Max Lucado, the author, recounts the story of his dad taking him and his friend on a fishing trip. I remember reading this book several years ago. So he tells this true story. He said, <clears throat> with excitement, they set out on their journey for this fishing trip. Once they arrived, a storm blew in and confined them to a small camper on the back of his dad's truck the first day. Determined that they were going to weather the storm, they decided to play Monopoly and read some stories, tell a few jokes, and we'll just fish the next day. But as the stormy day now turned into day two and then to day three, these three wannabe fishermen grew impatient with each other, began to grate on one another's nerves. Max Lucado writes, he said, I began to see what a jerk my friend was, his words. I began to see what a jerk my friend was and how my dad just couldn't do anything right. 
And ultimately, with no rejection, his dad fired up the truck and headed home. Max Licato writes this. He said, this led me to the following conclusion, not about fishing, but about people. He said, when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. <laughs> I'll give you a minute to write that down. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. And I can tell you that when a church stops being the church and loses its purpose, it will turn on itself. When a family loses its purpose, a family will turn on itself. When a person loses their purpose, they will turn on themselves. And so... If we ever lose faith and the power to become, then we will ultimately implode. And so this is not about the gift that God made possible for us. The, the, the power to become is a mandate. It's not a gift. It's a mandate. If you don't become, and if I don't become what God has called me to become, I will destroy myself. Amen. I'm gonna ask us right where you're standing. For ask, ask us for the Lord to help us to find our purpose. And I've said I believe that we all have a purpose. I believe that time and circumstances can change and alter that, what we actually are doing, but it doesn't change the, per, the fact that we have a purpose in the kingdom of God. And so can we just pray and ask the Lord to help us from the youngest to the eldest here tonight. God, I pray your anointing upon this congregation and to any Lord who may hear this message. And I pray, God, that the power and the truth of your word, not the, not the power of what I've said, I've just merely echoed the sentiments of your word tonight. And so I pray today, God, that the word can change us and help us to be molded into what you have called us to be. And, I'm asking you, Lord, to let the power and the spirit of the Holy Ghost to touch the youngest lady and the youngest man and the, the, and the, and the oldest lady and the, the, old, the youngest man here, the oldest man here tonight. God, let the power of the Holy Ghost touch each and every one of us. Regardless, Lord, of where we have come from, we are standing now in your presence and I'm asking you today, God, to let your spirit mold us and shape us and help us not lose sight of our potential. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.